In the name of our one God, who is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today we enter the season of Lent, and we are invited to the observance of a Holy Lent after the sermon that those words of invitation will be given to you and to me. And of course, it it poses the question, uh, what does that mean? What does the observance of a Holy Lent look like? How do we begin to do that? And among the things that we're told is that the first Christians uh, observed with great devotion the days of the Lord's passion and resurrection. And we hear that they did so by a dedicated time of reflection upon the passion of our Lord, by a season of penitence and of fasting. And we read just a moment ago from the sixth chapter of Matthew's Gospel. And as we heard from Matthew's Gospel, one of the things we heard as Jesus addressed his followers, as Jesus addressed the early Christians, the assumption, the expectation that Christians would be people who would be devoted to prayer, that we would be people who are devoted um, to fasting, that we would be people who would be devoted to giving um, generously, that those would be normal facets of of Christian life, to be devoted to prayer, to be devoted to fasting, to be devoted um, to giving generously. And as he spoke to those facets of our faith and practice, at the same time, he offered um, two warnings, knowing full well our human nature and the way that we um, are so often uh, either curved inwardly on ourselves or or miscurved. Knowing human nature full well, he gave two warnings. And among those warnings, the first was um, ostentatious religious devotion. And, and I can't help but smile every time as, uh, as we will put ashes on your head and give you the opportunity for ostentatious religious devotion. Um, as you go forth today, um, you're welcome. Uh, so there's, uh, he warns against ostentatious religious devotion. Uh, basically, human nature, our desire to have praise from other people rather than being concerned about pleasing God. Our desire to be to be seen, to be noticed, uh, and to be praised by other people uh, because of our religious devotion. Uh, the hypocrites who love to stand um, on the street corners, those that love to uh, look uh, disfeg- disheveled as they uh, fast. Uh, he warns against that, that uh, ostentatiousness and the reality that what is more important is not the outward appearance, but it's, it's a changed heart. Uh, it's a rightly ordered heart in relationship with God. Uh, it's about a recognition of what God can do and accomplish rather than what we can do and what we can accomplish. And, and the other thing that he warns against is that mechanical formalism, which was present in so much of pagan worship in Jesus' day. And that mechanical formalism uh, is just as tempting to you uh, and to me today as well, to sort of have the behavior modification, if you will, that we sort of change our actions at least um, on appearance and the way that we're perceived uh, and seen by other people. But once again, uh, a sort of a, a legalism as if we can somehow by certain acts and certain devotions have God in our bondage, uh, that then he will have to respond in a particular way. He, he warns about these challenges even as we are invited to the observance of a holy Lent. Uh, there is uh, that remembrance of the
the ways in our human nature that we so often um, distort uh, these good things. We, uh, we think about what we're not going to do, or we think about what we're going to do, and, and the challenge uh, and those good intentions is that often we can end up putting the focus um, on ourselves uh, and rather than on God. A, a case in point, uh, it was the first Sunday after my ordination to the priesthood, uh, and one of the things that you get to do after being ordained to the priesthood is you get to celebrate communion for the first time. And I can remember, of course, as you might imagine, being both very excited and very anxious. And, and I really, um, you know, of course, I was all about pleasing God. And, and in the most humble way possible, I wanted to be the best celebrant ever. Um, you know, I mean, again, it was, it was for God um, and not for me that, that I wanted to accomplish this. And I can remember uh, at the early service, it came time to set the table. And if you've noticed, we, we have up in there on the table next to uh, the altar, we have the bread and we have the wine and we have the water. And I went to set the table and there was bread and I put the bread on the table and I went back to get the wine and the water and there was only one cruet. So I thought, well, no biggie. It's just wine and not water. And I open um, the cruet and uh, the liquid in there is clear. Uh, and uh, of course, I began to panic and I turned to the congregation and I said, look, I... I'm really honored by your confidence um, in me, but I'm going to be right back. If you remember, Jesus' first sign uh, was turning water into wine. So there was that immediate um, sort of notification to me. Um, you know what, Craig? Uh, you, you can't do it uh, on your own. So I had to march over and get the wine and, and come back. And, of course, my first perfect celebration of communion was ruined. Um, thanks. Um, but uh, I was going to be better at the next service. And so at the main service, there was the time uh, to hold up the bread and to break it. And there's a larger um, piece of bread that you hold up at that point. And it came time to lift that and to break that. And I couldn't find it anywhere. Um, and, of course, once once again, uh, desiring to honor God in what I did, I, I began to frantically search for it, and I found uh, my inner Anglo-Catholic, and I genuflected it. I went down and began to search, thinking maybe I had knocked it off at some point, and it wasn't down there. And so I stood up again, and then I bowed, uh, sort of looking very prayerful and leaned over, looking for it. Still, um, no sign of it. So I genuflected one more time, and as I did so, I found underneath all of the bread where the dean had placed uh, the host and I pulled it out and I broke it and at the conclusion of the service uh, a woman came up to me and she said that was just a deeply moving moment <laughs> and I said thank you uh, and you know I mean as I say case uh, case in point here I was first day after my ordination and you think if there's any time uh, when I would be sort of rightly ordered and rightly directed in my life if there were any time when I was going to be holy surely um, this would be the time and, and the reality of the situation was at that moment I was more interested uh, in not looking dumb uh, I was more interested in looking like I knew what I was doing I was more interested 
interested in, in the praise of people um, than in honoring God. And, and I share all that with you because uh, the wonderful opportunity is given to you and to me, not just on Ash Wednesday, not just during the season of Lent, but there's this great invitation and opportunity to repentance. And, and what a great um, gift that is, the opportunity to turn um, away from ourselves, the opportunity to turn away from the exhausting attempts um, to please other people and to gather their praise as if that will be sufficient for us, as if that will save our souls, if, as if that um, will edify us. And repentance, unfortunately, has, has gained uh, such a misinterpretation over the years. Often when the word repentance is heard, people think uh, basically of hypocrisy, of people calling others to repentance and not recognizing their own need, not recognizing their own sin. Uh, what Jesus speaks of uh, seeing the speck in our neighbor's eye and missing the plank in our own eye. But repentance is a tremendous gift given um, to you and to me. Because imagine the world without repentance. Imagine the world without the opportunity to turn and to return. Imagine the world where our only recourse is self-justification. What a terrible and terrifying thought that is. Uh, but instead, we are given not just this Ash Wednesday, but repeatedly that opportunity to repent and return to the Lord, to recognize um, our sin, to recognize our need for a Savior. Uh, a friend of mine and sends out these periodic uh, blog posts. And uh, one of the recent ones, really the most recent one that he sent out, uh, had a quote from C.H. Spurgeon. Spurgeon, uh, some of you may recognize his name, was a great preacher. And Spurgeon speaks to you and to me in the words uh, my friend quoted in his most recent blog. He said this, Spurgeon says, The first solid link between my soul and Christ is not my goodness, but my badness, not my merit, but my misery, not my riches, but my need. Let me say that uh, one more time. Uh, Spurgeon said, the first solid link between my soul and Christ is not my goodness, but my badness, not my merit, but my misery, not my riches, but my need. This great gift given to you and to me today as we gather, remembering that we are dust and to dust we shall return. Yes, is the recognition uh, that we are uh, more sinful than we think, worse off than we can begin to believe. Uh, and yet, in response to this, we have the amazing response of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, who knowing uh, our human nature and our brokenness comes forth into the world uh, in Jesus, his son. What Paul wonderfully, joyously triumphs in his letter to the Corinthians, he became sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so as we rightly repent of our sins this day and throughout this season, as we rightly turn to the Lord, recognizing our, our badness, recognizing um, our need, we do so at the same time with joy because of the recognition of the character of our Savior. 
one final quote um, that I share with you, uh, and it is from John Newton, who perhaps uh, you remember experienced a dramatic conversion in his life from being uh, basically the worst of the worst, being a, a slave trader, uh, and then uh, realizing how he was offending um, God, how he was hurting uh, his brothers and sisters, uh, repented uh, and returned or turned um, to the Lord. And he is the author, perhaps as you remember, of that wonderful hymn, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Toward um, the end of uh, his life and his ministry, as he uh, said these words, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world, but still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, um, I am um, what I am. We are reminded this day uh, that we are dependent upon the grace of God. But thanks be to God in Jesus Christ and his cross and his resurrection and his blood shed for us. We are reconciled and made right uh, in our relationship with God. We are filled uh, with a hope and a joy which is not based on our uh, outward piety, on the things that we can accomplish, but what he has accomplished for us once and for all. It's why we are people that are hopeful, people that are joyful, people that know finally uh, what John Newton shared toward the end of his life. He said, although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. I pray that as we enter um, these 40 days, you will reflect upon, yes, that we are great sinners, but more than that, that Christ is a great Savior. And it is to him that we say, thanks be to God. Amen.